I'm going to begin a series this morning through the month of December on some Christmas characters that we're real familiar with. We're going to talk about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and something else for Christmas Eve. But let's talk about Mary this morning. Now, I would say that uh, some of us probably feel like our, our Catholic brothers and sisters uh, go overboard with Mary and maybe venerate her too much. Listen to this quote from Pope Pius IX. God has committed to Mary the treasury of all good things in order that through her are obtained every hope, every grace and all salvation. I don't agree with that. That's not biblical. But could it be that perhaps we Protestants have diminished Mary's role that we hardly recognize her and maybe we need to rediscover her again? Let's consider that this morning. So it happened in a small, insignificant town in Galilee called Nazareth on a Wednesday. All betrothal contracts were signed on Wednesday. The parents of Joseph and Mary were there, but they had no idea what was soon going to happen to their children. They would declare them betrothed, which is sort of like our engaged, but more like being married without living together. One year later, there would be a week long wedding and celebration. And after that, many grandchildren. Mary or Miriam as she was called, was the most common girl's name in Israel. And Joseph was also a very common name. They were common people in every way, kind of like you and me. They weren't nobility. They weren't rich. They weren't educated. They weren't part of the religious establishment. Joseph wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't a priest. He was a carpenter. Probably about 19 years old, although it's possible he could have been older than that. Mary was younger for sure. Girls in Israel at that time frame were usually betrothed between the ages of 12 and 15. She was probably 13 or 14 years old. So think about this for a moment. Advent begins with two teenagers. So before we think negatively about teenagers and roll our eyes at them, consider that fact. We forget how young they really were. I think 18 is too young to go to war. Yet this was harder. Their responsibilities would be much greater. Let's read our text for the morning. Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Well, as I'm reading this, I'm getting goosebumps up and down my body. Isn't that exciting? God's word. 
how it's alive and real. He speaks to us right directly to through his word. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What an amazing story. Let's talk about the announcement. The angel came with an announcement. So I want you to imagine this morning you're a teenage girl. For some of you, you don't have to imagine it at all. You already are. You're doing your chores when you're blinded by a bright light. And it's the angel Gabriel standing before you. Have you ever noticed in Scripture that angels kind of have a hard time easing into conversation? They just never make small talk. They just blurt right out the important message that they've come to deliver. And then they always have to say, well, don't be afraid. How can you not be afraid? An angel right from the presence of God is standing right in front of you, speaking to you. Then he calls her, oh, favored one. And the Lord is with you. If it were me and he said that, I'd be looking around to see who he could be talking to. Certainly couldn't be me. She's just this poor, ordinary girl from a small town. Then he says something to her truly amazing that no doctor, no scientist, no psychologist would be able to help her figure this out. Even though you're a virgin, you're going to have a baby. I don't think a theologian could really totally explain it to her either. When I think of some of the other births in the scriptures, like uh, Isaac and Samuel and John the Baptist, those were very unusual pregnancies and births, yet they were still human. This was divine. This was miraculous. This was a miracle. And miracles must simply be believed and accepted by faith rather than understood. Now, there are theologians today that will have a hard time with this story and say, oh, it's not real. It didn't really happen. Like they have a hard time with Jonah and the big fish. You see, that's just a myth or a story. And the Red Sea was really just a swamp. And the plagues of Israel were natural weather patterns. And Goliath had a tumor on his head. And the stone just luckily struck the tumor. And that's what took him down. Well, I don't know. Maybe Goliath had a soft head. I don't know. I do know this, that David killed him with a sling. These theologians today may say Jesus didn't really rise from the dead because dead people don't get out of their tombs. That's impossible. So we make things as human beings more complex and demand rational explanations instead of just simply accepting by faith the truth of what Scripture says. You and I today believe that a miracle, the impossible, happened that day. 
A pastor tried to explain miracles to the children's Sunday school class. And he said, kids, picture me on top of a 10 story building of which I fell off and I landed safely on my feet with no injuries. What would you call that? And the class said, good luck. So he explained it again. What would you call that? An accident? And he explained it one more time and they said, practice. We human beings just have some kind of a natural repulsion to believe the miraculous if it can't be explained rationally. We don't want to seem naive and gullible. Let's talk about the assignment that Gabriel gave to her. Think about it. How could God entrust the salvation of the world to two teenagers? I don't think I'd trust my car keys. Or a credit card to many 14-year-olds, much less salvation. I mean, honestly, if it were me, I'd pick a 35-year-old. She'd be more mature, or maybe better yet, a 60-year-old woman. She'd have a lot of wisdom and life experience by this time. Yeah, I'd pick a 60-year-old. But Sarah had a baby at age 90. Talk about maturity. Now, that's a mature woman. I think I would pick a 90-year-old, not a 14-year-old. Many 14-year-olds spend half their life in front of the mirror and the other half on the phone. And God asked his 14-year-old to bear his son, God the Son, the King of the universe, the Savior of of the entire world. I mean, God had to have made himself so vulnerable, right, at that moment, to do this, to entrust his son to them. Now, I got saved at age 19, and I know at 19 I was extremely immature. So I'm amazed at who God chooses to do his work. People like you and me. I'm amazed that he allowed his son to be an embryo inside the body of this teenage girl developing and being born to them. A helpless baby who was dependent every second on Joseph and Mary to take care of him. What an assignment that was. Jesus said that we should have faith as a child. And basically, that's what Mary was. She was still a child. But God chooses unusual people to do amazing things for him. He chose a hundred year old man to be the father of many nations. He chose a stammering man to lead his people out of captivity in Egypt into the promised land. He chose an undisciplined judge to judge the Philistines when he himself should have been judged. He chose a shepherd boy to be his king who was an adulterer and a murderer. He chose a prophet with an unholy mouth. He chose an uncouth grasshopper eater to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He chose for one of his disciples a tax collector and one who would betray him and one who would deny him. And he chose a Christian killer for his spokesman. It's crazy to think about all the people God chooses. And you and I could add our names to that list. God chooses the most unlikely people for his assignment. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 29, we read, 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Those jars of clay are very fragile. They're easily cracked. As someone said, we're just a bunch of cracked pots. Oliver Cromwell was the ruler of England during a money crisis. It was a silver shortage. But he was told that the cathedrals had a lot of silver. The statues of the saints were loaded with it. So Cromwell said, melt down all the saints and put them into circulation. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us. He wants to melt us down and put us into circulation so that we can be used for him. He has an assignment for you that only you can fulfill, and that's to know him and serve him. Now, let's talk about Mary's obedience. Some of you are old enough to remember the show Mission Impossible. There was music that was playing and Jim was usually in the bathroom with a tape recorded, which said your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it? You know what? They always accepted it, no matter what it was. But I thought, well, what else are they going to do for 55 minutes? They've got to do it. Luke 138 says, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I really like how this reads in the Phillips translation. I belong to the Lord, body and soul. Let it happen as you say. She said yes to God. And God wants you to say yes to him today. God wants you to house his son, not physically like Mary, but spiritually. Mary conceived the Lord first in her heart and then in her womb. Martin Luther says that the Christmas story has three miracles in it. One, God becoming a man. Two, a virgin conceiving. And three, Mary saying yes. And Luther said the third was the hardest of all. Frederick Beekner writes, you mustn't be afraid, Mary, the angel said. And as he said it, he only hoped she wouldn't notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of a girl. So lest you think this girl's answer was easy, that it was easy to say yes to Gabriel and thus to God. Let me give you four risks that Mary took to say yes that day. Family disapproval and rejection. There was a risk that no one in her family would believe her. Today, pregnancy out of wedlock is common, almost normal. 
but not then. It was very rare for Mary's parents to accept her story that she's pregnant would be very hard. You know that they would try to believe her. They would want to believe her. They would still love her. But it would be hard to swallow if your daughter said, I'm pregnant and God's the father. For her to say yes to God and to explain this to her parents really took a risk because she didn't know the outcome of what her parents would say. Second risk was public scorn. It's one thing for your family to believe you and help you. And it's another thing for the small town neighbors to believe it. Can you imagine the gossip? She says God's the father. It must have been unbearable for her. The neighbors will say, well, next week she'll say she's seen Elvis at the 7-Eleven and UFOs are involved. She was such a good girl. What happened to her? You know, part of the wedding ceremony would be the bride would sit outside her house and welcome all the well-wishers of the town. Can you picture Mary sitting there with her big belly? Well, that's why she went to stay with her cousin Elizabeth. And then they stayed years in Egypt after that before coming back home. When we say yes to God, we risk our neighbors. We risk our co-workers. And our fellow students ire at what God has called us to do. Thirdly would be the loss of Joseph. Joseph was her fiance. Technically, they were pledged to be married. This pledge was a form of marriage in Israel. Then you just didn't live together till your wedding day, but you were married. Technically, can you imagine what a shock this must have been to Joseph to hear this? Would it not have been hard to believe her? But the Bible says that Joseph was a good and righteous man. And we see that, and we're going to look at his story next week, how he did not publicly divorce her, but quietly was going to put her away. But until an angel appeared to him in a dream and said for him to marry her, which he did. But Mary had to understand that he might not believe her and refuse to marry her. And if he did that, then probably no one would marry her. She would be damaged goods. Single moms in first century Israel and everywhere in the world had it very rough. There was no welfare program. If her parents did not accept her back into their home to take care of her and that child, sometimes women in that situation have to resort to prostitution. I'm so glad that Joseph said yes. But when Mary told him she did not have that guarantee. She could have been facing a future with no husband and no financial support. So this was huge for her, a huge risk. The fourth risk was death. Now, probably it would have been unlikely, but it was still a possibility. And that's why I bring it up as a risk. She could have been killed. Because there was a daughter of a priest in Israel at that same time period who conceived out of wedlock and was burned at the stake. Persons could be strangled or stoned. And we know that the men in the story in John chapter eight, remember the woman caught in the act of adultery, they were ready to stone her. So that could have happened. It was a possibility. Why it was unlikely was because the Romans controlled execution. Jews did not have the legal right 
to execute anyone, they saved that privilege for themselves. Yet we know that Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He was stoned to death. So it did happen in Israel and it could have happened, even though that was unlikely. There was still a risk that Mary faced even death. So when God comes to us with a impossible mission, what are we going to do? Are we going to say yes to quit our job and go back to school or Go out on the mission field or quit smoking or witness to our neighbor or start tithing or plug into a church ministry or forgive the one who hurt us. Are we going to say yes at some or great risk or are we going to say no? What if Mary would have said no? God wouldn't have forced her. He would have found another young woman in Israel who was more willing and she would have missed out on being a part of history. She would have missed out being on the cover of Time magazine eight times, which is the second most for any woman in history. I wonder what you and I have missed out on because we said no. So I want to challenge you as we go to the Lord in prayer and then we sing and worship a little bit more. To think about that question today, am I saying yes to God? Have I stepped out in faith in accordance to his will? Let's pray. Lord, let us say yes to you, to your will, even when it isn't what we want or even what it, it, when it isn't what we understand. We can't maybe make sense of it. But we know your way is perfect and you will always do what is good and right for us. What is for our best? I pray today that if there's anyone wrestling with that decision right now, maybe someone is on the verge of a challenging decision to make that could be risk to their reputation. And it's for you and they know it's from you. I pray that you will give them the strength today. To make that right choice, to do the right thing, even if it isn't popular. Lord, give us faith and courage. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to bring you a couple of special songs today.